0: Uh, welcome back to the Funny Books and Firewater Podcast. We're a drinking podcast. We're the comic book problem. <laughs> shit the shit out
1: of it. I no, think we Brian. Oh
0: Brian. Yay! Yay! I felt so kind of bad about doing female antiheroes without the
1: only female on me. On
2: the I podcast. I
0: agree. I agree.
2: Um, but well, let's uh, just
1: have the queen step
2: up. There you go. Ooh, girl. <laughs> Ooh, girl. Uh, cool. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. We are starting our month, as we probably mentioned beforehand, of uh, female antiheroes, uh, which we started with probably one of the biggest in the uh, comics world right now. We're starting with uh, Harley Quinn. Uh, we're doing the Black Label book called Harleen, which I think on a previous episode I butchered entirely because I was trying to do it from memory. Um, now, here's the question, either Todd or Adam, can you help me pronounce the name of the writer-slash-artist of this book?
1: Steven Sajic. He's Croatian.
2: Steven Sajic?
1: Sajic. Just go with it, and he'll forgive us. Okay. But
2: yeah, I... He
1: had a big career beforehand on Top Cow. He did
2: Aquaman, too, if I remember correctly.
1: He did Aquaman, but probably what he's most well-known for, I mean, back in the day, is he did a big run on Witchblade in the darkness okay. of those um, 90s image style. Yeah. Witchblade well, they tried to revive
2: bit. recently, right? Right.
1: It's more so, original yeah. Witchblade stuff.
2: Yeah. I also uh, got to say, Todd, I love with you calling in, we sound like a sports show. Do like,
1: we now? That's nice.
2: It totally sounds like one of those sports shows where are like, well, see, I think the real problem is, is the coach just didn't give the quarterback enough time to really work it out. And, uh, you know, like, it, it just sounds like one of those.
1: That really works. Well, I'll tell you what the problem is here, though. <laughs> <laughs> as um he um uh, no he's, he's done quite a bit. He does a lot of creator owned work too. In fact, uh-huh. he did as much as he did with DC for a while. Is a little bit outside of his normal mo. Yeah. So he was gonna after doing this, he was all in on doing a. Uh, uh, Poison Ivy as well, but then he's like, "No, I'm out. I'm doing oh. my creator own stuff again." Interesting. Yeah. So we'll talk about this, but take this, and then he was going to do the same thing, basically, with Poison Ivy.
2: Well, and his illustrations of Poison Ivy—that's that, part of my drinking game. But like, his 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 characters are all very pretty. Like, even the even the hideous characters are kind of pretty. Like, I was looking at like even the penguin kind of looks pretty. Well, um, oh, I mean, he made the Joker look pretty in this. Oh, the Joker's fucking gorgeous in this. Like, let's be honest, the the Joker is super. You, you made
1: pretty. him like a. A uh, anime character, right? I was just thinking, like an androgynous anime character.
2: Yeah, it's got a little bit of a Bowie thing going on. Um, I mean, dare I say, even maybe just a hair sexier than Bowie. Um,
1: So, with this book, I'm sure we'll jump back into it again. So, this uh, Harleen is written from the point of view of Harleen Quinzel and her demise and fall. But let's do drinking games first.
2: Okay. And then we'll go back and we'll get your point that I, 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 I sort of know right. what you meant, but I meant... Let's yeah. games. Well, uh, before we do drinking games, I'm just going to do a quick intro. Uh, so yeah, we have three of us today, unfortunately. is not able to join us, so of course we are doing female anti-heroes without the sole female to keep us in line, but I'm sure she will be back next week. Uh, she will be joining us remotely from Connecticut, from at least what she texted me. Uh, so Todd is the Reverend Reporter today. Lena will be the Reverend Reporter next week. And also with us we have uh, Mr. Adam and I am Brian. So Mr. Adam, uh, what is our drinking or our
0: cocktail for this week? Uh, our cocktail this week is called the Quinzel. Okay. Uh, so first of all, you have to make black sugar. So you take a uh, one cup of sugar and a little Ziploc bag. You add two drops of black food coloring. Uh, you squish it all together until it turns black. You put that onto a plate. You dip uh, glass into uh, a plate that has simple syrup. Dip it into the black sugar and then set it out so that it will um, like kind of harden and crystallize. In an ice-filled shaker, you're going to add one and a half parts of cherry vodka, one part of tequila, one part of rum, a splash of grenadine, and three ounces of pineapple juice uh you shake the shit out of it and you strain into the black sugar rimmed glass i gotta
2: say that sounds like the most white girl cocktail i think i've heard in, in a while to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> but it has her colors
2: <laughs> it does which is beautiful and amazing but like i'm still listening like okay vodka tequila that's like ninety percent of the women I've dated, right there. Uh, that, thats their co- well. I don't know if that's their combo of choice, but those two, those two alcohols in general would re- remind me of all that. But yeah, uh, cool. Well, then let's jump into uh, drinking games. I guess I'm going to jump back to you, Adams, just in case because I don't want to
0: steal anybody's. I-, I got a couple too. Uh, one of mine is called Psycho Babble. So every time they're talking about anything regarding psychology, uh, psychiatry, or any of the kind of therapy she's trying to do uh, with the inmates, take a drink. Cool. Um, okay. I have a couple, so we'll bounce back and forth. So I'll do another one.
2: Um, right. Mine is Hey, I know that guy. Uh, every time you see a Bat- a character from the Batman universe that you know, Eve, like, and we're just gonna go by first appearances because you know some of them show up multiple times, but there are a few pages where all of a sudden, you're like, oh look, she's talking to this guy, and she's talking to that guy, and she's talking to this guy, and oh look, there's Hugo Strange, and oh look, there's the you know, there's uh, Az, and there's yeah. Zaz, and there's yeah. So every time one of the them show up, uh,
0: Mr. Adam, do you have another one? Uh, yeah, actually, that was almost mine as well. Uh, uh, <clears throat> the other one is I feel so ashamed. So every time uh, Harley feels guilt about uh, falling in love with the Joker. Nice,
1: uh, Mr. Todd, do you have one? Yeah. I'm I'm going to call it foreshadowing. So every time the arc is on a play or you see um, Harleen is yet to be Harley, yet you've got shadow play or other things that are coming that oh, way. Oh, nice, it's yeah. Crazy.
2: Uh, that also reminds me of another one that I was going to do uh, actually I think I'm going to stick with that one uh, I was going to call it the Lily Rule which is uh, a reference to How I Met Your Mother because you can tell if it's in the past or if it's in the present and also her level of Harley Quinn-ness versus harleen based on how tight her ponytail is or her hairstyle in general so just tracking every time the hairstyle changes I guess is the, the drinking
0: game rule yeah and my other one was called uh, Flash yeah. Forward every time you see like you said the, the, the future where she is Harley Quinn
2: yeah but like the big for me the big Way I've noticed, like you could tell that trajectory of what where she was on that line was based on the hair, uh the ponytail and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, Todd, you were discussing um the fact how we were talking about how everyone was so fucking pretty in this book. Do you want to continue on with that thought?
1: Right. So we've got Harleen. This this whole book is from the point of view of Harlene Quinzel, Harley Quinn. Yeah. And so I mean, this is uh she's coming to Arkham as a psychiatrist as a bit of a redemption of anything coming to Arkham. And then her uh and everything right here, so this is the story of her fall, uh-huh. as much as anything. So I mean, they're like the prequel trilogy of Star Wars, that's what this one is. And but it's from the point of view. It's like you know, the Joker is a super scary guy, and how does anyone fall for that? And this kind of goes well from this perspective I see how
2: it goes well and I also think part of the reason why she would have become interested in that side of psychology was if she didn't have at least a little bit of dark fascination or even in her head romanticized it to a certain extent maybe not consciously but subconsciously and I think you sort of see that's what draws her in. and I think that's um I mean like I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and watch a lot of you know documentaries about serial killers and whatever it's just something but like there's something weird about like you feel a little bit like why am I so fascinated fascinated with this, and, and in some cases, I think it's. I'm fascinated with it because I I'm curious about people who get to that point at the edge, but I I don't feel like my life luckily ever gets to that sort of point, but it's like sort of like playing with that edge, and it's like, you can kind of see her playing with that edge at the beginning of it, and then you start to see her sort of be pulled over, and um... <laughs> And, and I kind of liked, I mean, it, it's sort of hard to tell, and I kind of want to get other people's opinions on it. I felt like, um, partially Harley was seduced to evil by the Joker, but also I, I got a sense through the way that the character's written and, and that kind of stuff, that she was more in control into her sort of stepping to the dark side um, than maybe other tellings of her origin would imply. And I was going to see if anybody had any thoughts on that.
1: I think so, I mean, what's being portrayed here is an inherently flawed character. Yeah. So you've got someone that came up, had a rough, maybe Some poor choices early on, Mm -hmm. trying to come over it and just going, I am trying hard to do the right thing and it sucks. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if we go back to the killing joke, Joker's whole thing is, no, with one bad day, I can push you over the edge kind of the deal.
0: You're stealing my thoughts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what you're looking here, is this another perspective of the one bad day, or is it just simply another thought of, she's having a bit of a rough life? I mean, just someone that's brilliant, absolutely intelligent, and going through things and going, how do I, you know, we all live the lives we want to at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. and people going, what I'm currently doing just doesn't work, I'm going to try this other thing. I I
2: have a little bit of a thought on that, but I want to get Adam's take first before I
0: go down that road. Well, no, this goes back to, I mean, our very, very first episode, which you should never listen to, by the way. Oh, God, no, please uh, don't. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, like I said, they're, you're one bad day away from becoming becoming the villain. And a lot of my thoughts kind of wrap up with what Todd said was, yeah, here we have, you know, Dr. Quinzel, who it is brilliant. She She really does have all these good intentions, which the book is very open about in the first, you know, the first chapter about how, you know, the road, you know, the road of good intentions kind of thing. And she's kind of had to prove her whole life that she is good enough, that she is worth it. Then, yeah, she made a bad decision, and that's that's come back to bite her in the ass ever since then. Because, you know, first of all, you're a woman in a, a field that's dominated by men. Second of all, you're good-looking. Third, you did sleep with your professor, and now everyone in the community thinks, oh, you got where you were because you fucked someone who had power. And that's even brought up and they're like, well, no, the reason why we're doing this is because you scored like a, what was it 98.6, whatever it was on on your test. So you really are brilliant. That's why we want you here. And she has this novel idea of how to approach crime, which we could also jump into the whole thing is that is Gotham really a place full of monsters or is Batman creating the monsters? Because there's a lot mm-hmm. of talk about that. And she's really like, no, I want to rehabilitate these people. And she even makes time to go meet with Batman to be like, do you think they can be saved? Do you think the Joker can be saved? And he's like, I hope so, but I don't know. So she's put all this work into this idea that she thinks that she's just getting shot down and shot down and shot down by the whole rogues gallery. And then she meets the Joker, which she's already terrified of, but kind of like, you know, her interest is peace because of what happened at the beginning where she's assaulted by him or almost killed. And here's this person who unbeknownst to her has her research and knows what's going on. And starts feeding her bits of information and validation that she's been looking for her whole life in someone she never thought she would find it in. So, of course, that's intoxicating. Of course that, uh, you know, just being backed up that, hey, you know what? I have the right ideas. I'm finally breaking through. I'm getting to places that no one else could. But then it goes back to, you know, just her being a flawed character. And yeah, there, she let that become intoxicating. She let that sink into her head to where it became obsession to the next step is, you know, love. And whether it's false love or real love, whatever else, she, you know, she made that choice to let her mind go there, even if she was doing it subconsciously. But everything he was doing, because he is that much of a mastermind and you know, just diabolically scheming to bring her over to his side, probably just to help her help him escape. But then she went further than I think even he expected. And then at the end, when she you know kills that police officer who was her friend, and everything just shatters because now she's like, you know what? He was right. The whole of Gotham is just monsters wearing masks. And that's it's like at the end of Killing Joke when the Joker tells it, joke and just starts laughing forever. She saw the joke like he did, and then that was it. Harley was born?
2: Yeah, I think um, adding to that, and this does get to my thought that I had is I started thinking that this book is, in a not so veiled way, but in a slightly different aspect, is a commentary on the at least American criminal justice system, where she makes one mistake so quote unquote one crime that she is forever trying to make up for and when it's starting to become clear that she can't make up for it in the eyes of people and like it's not necessarily like a crime crime but she can't make up for it in her community um or society won't allow her to make up for this one com- crime that she committed or a mistake she committed she basically gets um adopted into the criminal family and finds comfort in there and a, re- a reality in there or a-, a different sort of society that works there and so like it's sort of this commentary on like institutionalized criminality and how like you know people aren't really necessarily like although they claim that they're going to be um, you know uh, helped by being in prison they're not actually like really helped by being in prison and, and there's an institutionalization of of people even for small petty crimes I feel like that's sort of she's on that same route uh, of the other prisoners that she's interviewing as well you know I mean just but like in a more what you would think upscale like um, academic sort of sense of it like she's she's made one mistake and she's still trying to make up for it in her career you know you, you, you take that mistake and make it a crime and make you know her uh penance be prison time and, and she's sort of stuck in that same cycle that a lot of these people that she's talking to are now and it's also i think part of that too is is that her whole thesis is is about empathy and about the fact that these super criminals don't seem to have empathy is um is what makes you know it's her thesis that she can help solve that but really well, she
0: she blatantly says in part of it about the whole like you're putting people in this prison or this place yeah where now they're becoming comfortable with the criminals around them, and they when they leave, they're more of a criminal than when they went in. So that yes. point was very blatantly made yeah. throughout the book.
2: Yeah, so it's just interesting that she's, in her own respect, she's she's going through the same path that a small-time crook would go through or a criminal would go through on their way to becoming Joker. She just comes at it slightly different in a, in a way of giving it, like, just a different perspective, I think, from a writing standpoint, which I just thought was interesting.
1: I mean, it really is interesting. I mean, so... I mean this month Is female anti heroes And as we read This book It's the Protagonist Becoming the villain And yeah. it's yeah. the uh, You know In the fall Of Harlane Quinzel But no one knew Who she was Until she was the villain Yeah Kind of a yeah. deal And another recent book From DC Comics Would be Batman White Knight Where um, it's argued That Batman Is the villain Of Gotham And not the hero mm-hmm. And you know It's showing everyone's a hero In their own story But we've got This person That cracks Right And we yeah. are yeah. It's not so subtle of that too, with the foreshadowing. But at the, um, you've got this. I mean, is it a little bit like um, as it's going through, like falling down with Michael Douglas. Mm-hmm. You remember yeah, that yeah. movie? I, I feel there's a, the parallels with that as well. As, and it goes back to one more bad day. Is you've got the the grind. She's trying to. She's living the straight and narrow the best she can, but the grind of it is grinding her to dust. Yeah. She's like, I'm just gonna step off and. It's, uh, reading this whole book, it's about the push, getting her ready to step off. And she doesn't do it fully alone by any means, but no. it's, uh, it's built in there. So, and then back with the art- artwork, I mean, everyone has like elongated features. Yeah. They're they are very, all very, yeah.
2: Very statuesque, very pretty, very supermodel-y. Yeah,
1: they all are. Like um, you can see a, a
0: cameo of me on page 35.
1: <laughs> right there. So it's, um, so what's reading with it is you've got these very pretty people doing bad things. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in some way, with the prettiness of the people, it's often portrayed as similar like um, vampires, right? Not always, but oftentimes the uh, there's the portrayal of vampires as, oh, you're a vampire, now you're this gorgeous, pretty, sultry kind of person with the uh, taboo of the wrongness going on throughout. And you have people, you know, being sucked into that world or wanting to. yeah, sucked
0: by vampires. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And this seems to be as another form of that. I mean, it's the uh, same general concept. Conflicts and that setting being put in there. But um, I rather enjoyed this story. And I thought, with the um, artist being the writer in this situation, worked very well because this is what, three issues?
0: Yeah, three issues. Um, uh huh. I, I think it's like three collections because it, it's well, very well. It was much originally published as
2: three issues, but it's the black oh, okay. label thing, so they're like a little bit wider one. Because the 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 Batman book with the uh, Batwing was also a, a black label. As in fact, I think the first one, would, uh, damned Batman, damned was also yep. I think in the same. I have that one too. I think it's in the same format of, as this was as well. Yeah, it's, it's like was, a
1: prestige format. It's yeah. wider than a standard comic book, so it's, uh, it it uh, changes the formatting. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, it's almost like an IMAX edition of a comic.
2: There's that aspect of it which I really like um the black label stuff as much as I sort of am slightly bummed about Vertigo going away, I think what D- DC has been doing with Black Label has actually been really great, and I've been really torn about this recently because I've had these conversations recently a lot, specifically mainly when it comes to films, because like the problem is that, and not not that it's a problem, but a lot of people are more aware of comic book characters nowadays because of the film and television situation with, right. and which is sort of an apropos conversation for this since Harley Quinn was actually a animated series character who then they incorporated into the comics, um, uh-huh. but uh, in some respects. I feel like Marvel does a better cumulative storyline as far as their films go. But I recently have found the comics relatively boring. And I feel like DC has had a hard time trying to make all of their movies like the DC universe, yet a lot of their best comics are alternate takes or whatever, and so it's one of those things where it's like, I just kind of wish DC would do more of this kind of work, of not trying to tie everything together and let their characters uh, be a little more dark, unique, tell interesting stories on their own. I feel like that's where they do a better job, and I, I mean, I haven't, I can't say that I've read all the Black Label stuff that's come out so far, but the stuff that I have read, I've really enjoyed.
1: Wonder Woman, Dead Earth is
0: amazing.
2: Okay, so that one I haven't read. I've read uh the white Knight that uh what uh, Sean murphy did and the yeah. black man damned uh, I kind of
0: felt like that one kind of fell apart though i the first issue was fun but i just couldn't get into it i mean it was obviously famous for the battle wing but i didn't yeah. i wasn't in love with that one i mean from what i was
2: expecting oh interesting white knight was the first one released i didn't realize that Uh-oh. oh no it was yeah, it was the first one released. So Sean Murphy's that one. Batman Dam. Batman Last Night on Earth. I I read and thought it was okay. Uh, Superman Year One. Oh Curse of the White Knight. Is that out on trade yet? Year One was yeah, a, a black label? Okay, I need to get. Yeah, it's the Superman Year One. Oh okay. Uh, Joker Killer yeah. Smile by Jeff Lemire. I have that, but I haven't read it yet. Um, there's been a lot more than I expected. And there's Batman Killer Smile, Birds of Prey book, Wonder Woman Dead Earth. Okay, so I'm gonna have to go back and read more of these. On the Batman so, 3 Jokers is one of them as well.
0: What's really interesting, it, it goes into this the black series, and also what Todd said about how this book is filled with beautiful people who have this <laughs> interior that's rotted or gross. Uh, it gets, it goes, it plays back into the Joker thing about how everyone's wearing a mask. The monsters yeah. are all wearing masks, so I thought that was really cool. Um, as far as the Black Series goes, so I've read a couple of the the Marvel ones, and I really think DC is handling it better. Mm-hmm. So I read some of the Black Series, uh, whatever, or the Extreme, whatever they call them. Oh, the, Max the is what they're calling Max, their stuff for a while. Max, yeah. Yes, and so Max reminds me of the Marvel version. Is like you've got people doing. A radio show okay let's say like it's a disney disney star on disney channel and they break out and do their first movie and it's a hard r and they can say fuck a lot right yeah they can finally do it right whereas this one was very much more restrained to the point that yeah it did say like you know it had fuck and shit and all that stuff but if you look closely anytime they had a character referencing the sex act of as far as using the word fuck they edit it yeah it's actually blurred out or like has the little symbols And so it was using the words and the violence for a point instead of just being like, Hey, look what we can do. Let's see how far we can get away with it. It was like when Howard Stern first went to XM or Sirius radio, the first couple months was like, Hey, we can do what we want now. And then they got into the rhythm of, well, that's not funny or that's not useful unless we make it useful. Yeah. Which also reminds me of, you look at, you know, PG 13 movies have always been allowed to have one fuck. Now they can have two, but the rule is it cannot be related to, the actual action, and it can't be the word motherfucker. So I can tell you to go fuck yourself, but I can't say I fucked my boyfriend last night. Yeah. So that's just kind of what this reminded me of, how is you can have mature content, and I know it's kind of funny because we're saying this on a podcast where we make dick, fart, and cum jokes, uh, but you can have a mature uh, discussion about mental health and, uh, and have, you know— blood and gore and all that kind of fun stuff, but do it in a way where it's there to add to the story. It's not there to make the story.
2: Yeah, totally. Sure. Um, the other thing I kind of, on that same thought process, the Harley Quinn TV series on what was DC Universe and now it's on HBO Max. When it first right. came out, the first issue, or first episode that I watched, the pilot, made me feel like what you're talking about with the the Max stuff, where it was like, oh, we can swear, so we're going to swear a lot. So it was like a cartoon. It was like, we're going to say fuck as much as we can and be kind of shocking. And I had a hard time getting past it. And then like I, th- I think it was Lena who was like, no, no, you gotta watch past, like, episode three, and then it's awesome. And she was right. That's where I got fucking really addicted to it. And I still need um, to watch that, so... Is yeah, it like, on HBO Max now? It's on HBO Max now. Yes. Oh, I need to watch it. My advice is, is watch until King Shark shows up. Once King Shark shows up, that's what sold me. Like, that character I love dearly. It's voiced by Ron Funches, who I think is hilarious anyway. Um, But it's just, it's, yeah, it's a fucking... Uh, that's where the show gets really great. I haven't watched the second season. Uh, I've watched some of it, but not all of it yet. And it's just... Unfortunately, I'm at that point in time where, like, there's a lot of media I'm trying to catch up on, and I just... I get eight, I get distracted. I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch this for a while. I'm going to watch this for a while. I just haven't finished everything. I'm still trying to like catch up on my life uh post school. But yeah, I would definitely I would definitely check it out. But like you got to at least watch the first like four, I think. Um to make to see if you dig it or not. But
0: I Well, that's how a lot of shows are. It takes them a couple episodes to get in their groove. I mean, like even How I Met yeah. Your Mother, I'd say didn't hit its stride till the second season at least.
2: I mean, I like the first season. Yeah. Um I was curious, Adam, do you have any more thoughts on to the treatment of uh mental health in this book cuz I I thought it was interesting the way it was treated, but I kind of wanted to get your perspective on it. So,
0: as the resident crazy person
2: here... Um,
0: hi, um, excuse me, sir. I am medicated and oh, that's right, uh, in the therapy as well. So, <laughs> you do not get to hold that title yourself. There was a lot of talk about the movie Joker, about the way they handled mental illness. Yeah, And I think Joker... got the flack for it because it was, you know, it was by the guy who did the hangover. It was it wasn't a big budget, but it was a big push movie and everyone was pissed off at it. So my comeback to that for that movie was then why weren't you pissed off at like every other Batman, Superman, most movies? Because the whole Batman franchise exists off the fact that he's beating up people with mental mental instability. Yeah, I mean, whether or not they're they're literally crazy or they were driven that way. Like in this book, Harvey Dent becoming Two Face is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right. and we didn't even talk about his downfall. I know it was like a side story, but it was still you know it's it, of one of the many iterations of how he became Two Face. You know, like the Long Halloween everything mm-hmm. else. Um. So do so does. Media like this treat mental illness unfairly. Yes. Yes, it does. Because not everyone who is, you know, has a mental instability or they are quote unquote crazy or whatever else you want to say uh, goes out and kills people or does horrible things. People are blaming mental illness on the people who rush the capital, But it's hard to say because, you know, I and we can talk about privilege is the fact that, yes, I can afford to see a doctor and I can get medication and I can go see a therapist yeah. and all these kind of fun things to take care of myself because i i don't even know if i'd be alive right now without that um but then we we look at these these characters like the joker or whether or not he's mentally insane or just like he's pure evil like just pure unadulterated evil mm-hmm. is up for debate but when you have a superhero whose whole job is to put criminals away you've got criminals who are mass murderers i mean that's you kind of have to have some kind of backdrop to that yeah and I, it's, it's a line i'm not sure where you do or don't cross because i mean we can say okay so uh in superman you know his big villains lex luther right well i'm there's a very much a sense of narcissism and uh, being a sociopath and maybe even a psychopath there. And those are mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. So people can say, oh, well, Lex Luthor's just a gazillionaire trying to take over the world. I'm like, no, there's mental problems there. Yeah. So- it's, you know, I think that the one thing that really stood out to me in this was she was really talking about the lack of empathy. And she was yeah. interviewing Poison Ivy and wasn't getting anywhere. And then there's one scene where she's showing, she takes Poison Ivy over to the window to have sunlight. And mm-hmm. she's just like blown away by the fact that someone would do that for her. And then later on, she saves Harley's life. Yeah. Um. So I think that is kind of a point that she was making as far as the absence of empathy, where even people who are killers and like Poison Ivy, who is a bad person, still does have that empathy. Yeah. And I think we've seen flashes throughout all of Batman of people with sh- these supervillains showing empathy outside of the Joker. You know. So well.
2: I also think it was partially about the system showing empathy for the these people who are incarcerated as well. Like that they the, the, the I f- I feel like the the criminals are a reflection of the uh, treatment that they're. Receiving. Um, and I feel kind of the same way. I mean, I don't know all I haven't read all the stuff about, you know, the critiques of Joker and whatever. The thing for me that felt very obvious when I saw the film Joker was that it was a, a representation of the defunding of you know mental health facilities throughout America during I want to say Reagan era, but it might have even yeah. started earlier than that. Um well,
0: see the thing with with Joker too is that people were like, Oh, either one they were pissed about how it treated mental illness. Or two, they were pissed about how it made him a sympathetic character. And I will say, yes, it did make him a very sympathetic character mm-hmm. until he makes that decision to murder. And then once he does yeah. that, he f- the switch is flipped. And then you see yeah. his downfall. And if at the end of the movie, you're still feeling... Sympath- now, you can agree with some of the things he says, because he's not wrong about some things. Yeah. But if you're still sympathetic at the end of the movie for this person who is a-, a murderer and is out there to go kill people who don't agree with them or get vengeance, <laughs> then, yeah, you do have a problem. Like yeah. There is a problem with you being sympathetic for this person who very obviously is a killer, is someone you should not identify with. Now, at the beginning of the movie, yes, you could definitely see someone who's downtrodden and who's, like you said, fallen through the cracks and everything else and just beaten down by society. But that flips about two-thirds of the way through the movie. The, for me, the scene that flips it is when he kills his mom. Yeah. That's just like, okay, we're done now. But yeah, anyways, Brian, so as the other crazy person on the podcast, how do you feel about that? Um <sighs> I guess I'm double edged sword on it. I
2: I am sort of a proponent of destigmatizing mental health. Um, I, I feel like that's specifically me like, too. Yeah, yeah, specifically depression in general because that's just something I've struggled with for a vast majority of my life in various levels. Um, but I uh, I feel like. In some ways, it's nice to have it represented in media in a somewhat responsible way. And I feel like this is somewhat responsible. Yes, she is a psychiatrist and she is dealing with the criminally insane. So there is, and it is a comic book, so it is going to be sensationalized a a bit. And that's just sort of what's to be expected. Um, I would prefer that to perhaps some more archaic views of mental health. Um, like even though I love it, um, the movie Psycho becomes a bit problematic for me now because Mm -hmm. of you know, Norman Bates is a killer because of um, an overbearing mother. Well, the overbearing mother is one thing, but like the the fact that they write him off as um, trans basically, uh, that's where I mean, I think it doesn't hold up. Um, and probably, I mean, it's like that's he's a killer because he's a fucking killer. That's not the you know, yeah.
0: Well, and Thomas Harris, who wrote Silence of the Lambs, has apologized for how he portrayed people. In Science of the Land, because yes. Buffalo yeah. Bill. Even though they specifically say he's not trans because of this, this and this, like he yeah. says, yes, that did give a negative stereotype to yes. Jesus, people who for trans people are, you know, women who are born as men and vice versa. So Yeah,
2: but I, I also I mean, I give credence to things some things were in the past. Um and you know, like not all media is going to be perfect one hundred percent. We're going to evolve and change and you know, there are there are Greek plays that are, you know, problematic, but we still perform them. There are Shakespearean plays that are problematic and we still perform them. Uh but I, I think that, I don't know, I, I guess just having the the visibility and, and opening up the conversation a little bit more and making it less, you know, less of a thing. I think, I think what I... I'm trying to remember what I was reading recently, but it really irritated me. Was the Was fact, it me on Facebook? Huh? No, it wasn't. Was it me on Facebook? Okay, because I'm no, irritated was, on Facebook. It, it was a book... I uh, I mean, I, I, A, I'm going to say no, but B, I don't spend that much time on Facebook. Uh, I don't remember what the book was entirely, but I was reading something, and part of the thing that, that bothered me was that, like, the character was constantly a victim. And, like, everything was a fucking victim, and they didn't do anything to, you know, fix any of that. And the thing that I kind of appreciate about the villains in this book is is that they might have mental problems, but that doesn't stop them from achieving their goals. Their goals are dark and horrible, but they still go after them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, So, I mean, I don't know. That... And it might just be that that book had a bad taste in my mouth, but uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, I don't know. It it like and like you said, it's a very complicated issue. Um, yeah, and and, and the, it's the same thing. Like when we were doing Black History Month, one person can't speak for an entire race, and I can't speak for all people with depression or even all people with mental health. I can just say this didn't particularly bother me. In fact, I kind of appreciate a comic book at least trying to address the subject in a some what I felt was a responsible manner. Like I I, I didn't feel like it was. Uh, An ness- overly sensationalized past, creating something that was dramatically interesting for people to read. You know what well, I mean. Also,
0: it, it did come from a very sympathetic viewpoint, as far Absolutely, as yeah. someone who li- literally went in with the best of intentions to try to help people. It yes. wasn't trying to keep them there and try to. Give them a lobotomy, or like the joke yeah. says, shock treatment, whatever else it was. Which or write been a them story. off entirely and just say they're lost causes. No one was a lost cause to her. No, You know what I mean, it, and it, it, no one was. And um, it, it's so interesting. You mentioned the the victim thing because that's been brought up a lot in therapy for me as far as things I've gone through in the past and the difference between being victimized and being a victim and playing the victim card. Yeah. And my therapist mm-hmm. is really funny because she's your first session. She will always recommend a book. Yeah, and so for my buddy, he, she recommended. A book for him about uh, being in a relationship with someone who has borderline personality disorder, mm-hmm. because his ex-wife was diagnosed as bipolar. Trying to find out, no, she wasn't. She had borderline personality disorder, and like mm-hmm. it just hit him like a ton of bricks. He's like, "Oh my god, I needed this book." And for me, she gave me the subtle art of not giving a fuck, nice. which is a book i wanted to read forever. And it's very yeah. much just a treatise on sto- stoicism. Mm-hmm. But it was what I needed at that point in my life to sit back and realize, you know, playing the victim card and being like, "Oh, woe is me," is a sense of entitlement and how you. Need take responsibility for everything like even in the shittiest situation where horrible things are happening to you you have no control over that but you have control over how you react yeah and for me that was that was a very very powerful thing so it just made me think of that when we were talking you talked about that book you read but um no i just i i as far as it was it responsible or this and that i mean it's trying to tell a story about people who either they're crazy or psychotic whatever you want to say or they're just evil Mm -hmm. but I did like the fact that it brought up a very good point. Is like, we have people who we say, okay, these are horrible, crazy people who have done horrible things, murdered people, but are we trying to actually bring them back to the light to where they can sit back and be like, oh my God, I was fucked up and I did these horrible things and you may never forgive me, but I've, I've come out of this place and I can, I might be in jail or in a hospital the rest of my life, but I can at least be a person again, to the argument of, well, do, do they even deserve that for what they've done? And this mm-hmm. book was like, no, she's like, I don't care what you've done. I want to push through and help you. Mm-hmm and even though at the end it was the part of the cause of her downfall despite everything else that you know was going on personally or mentally with her um which you've already addressed but I don't know it kind of goes back to the whole thing is either you die the hero or live long enough to become the villain and I think that's kind of what happened with her um, and I think also to a certain extent she's her
2: own Frankenstein's monster you know what I mean like she was oh, so involved yeah. in that world that she sort of got wrapped up and became you know the monster herself and I don't think you know I don't think it was a live long enough to become the the villain where it was i think she became she became too involved to the point in time where like it would be like if Jane Goodall never came back from you know living with the what the gorillas I think is what she lived with. Like if she just like yeah. if we're if we're still talking about that lady who went down to study gorillas and just never came back and is still living with gorillas today, then she'd be fucking crazy. But she was able to separate herself from that in depth experience and come back and say, oh yes, I, I can now tell you about this or I can have learned things. Uh I think there's a point in time where, where Harley doesn't come back from hanging out with the gorillas and then just becomes
0: a gorilla herself. Because that might the be gorilla. the weirdest analogy I've ever come up with but no, but so that's the uh, like the, thing the, right. the yeah. gorilla gave her the validation that no one else would,
1: true. so yeah, why not be with them? What's also interesting, and this is true of stories in general, watching is but um, lazy people are boring,
2: yeah, they don't write books so, about lazy people, except yeah. for maybe the big Lebowski. But even then, he was just trying to get his rug back, man.
1: He was just trying to get his rug back. <laughs> books about lazy people are boring, flawed or not, or what they're doing is these are stories of people that get shit done, yeah, true, right. So, and they are moving forward, their direction might be, I mean, their, their sense of their moral compass might be pointed in an entirely different way, mm-hmm. but it's still there to a point, right? Yeah. So that's what's going on there, but it's, I mean a fascinating thing to watch because you've got this purely fictitious character and yet we're looking at it and it's um, it's a story of like how do we relate and sometimes it becomes the question at what point do we stop relating yeah. with different characters and for a lot of it it's like oh there's empathy we can come back we can get that and tell where's the line yeah. right here and it's, uh, it's you know reflections back to yourself again at what point in time do you go and they stepped over yeah, it was everyone's own personal line is what gets interesting. So yeah, yeah absolutely.
2: Okay, uh, Todd, do you have any other thoughts you want to add?
1: The um, again, I, we didn't talk about the artwork. Besides, they're pretty. I mean, yeah, it's all, yeah. they're um, it's digital artwork, right? You can watch it. And you can just tell it's all done. Digitally. Yeah. And but it's um extremely consistent. Mm-hmm. The um I've got the physical hardcover and the slipcase on it is really cool because it's got like an acetate overlay.
0: Yeah, I have that one too. This is actually one of the few physical like physical ones I do want. Like when we did Day Tripper, I immediately went out and got like the 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 deluxe edition because it's mm-hmm. one that I, I do wanna have that that experience of having like a, a big picture kind of thing.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's totally worth it. But you pull off the cover, the cover as acetate. So it's see-through. So you see this like, Oh, there's this picture. And then you slip off the cover and you see more of the damaged person underneath or what's to become. And it's um, the packaging and everything for this black label book from DC is I mean, wonderfully done and the art looks really good. And I think the, uh, the presentation is just fantastic. Uh,
0: Mr. Adam, do you got anything else? Um, I just bought the book. <laughs> uh, okay, God bless you, Amazon. Uh, deliver tomorrow. <laughs> uh, no, I just I I've never really been big into Harley Quinn. I mean, I w- I liked her in the animated series, which to this day is still I think the one of the best forms of Batman that's ever been created. And I think it's funny that people forget that this very iconic and popular character came from that cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'd rush home from. Everyone's like, oh, I'd rush home from school and watch Ducktales. I'd rush home from school to watch Batman. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of like everyone did in the '60s with uh, yeah. the, the '66 Adam West one. Mm-hmm. Uh, i have never really been a big fan of Harley Quinn. Like, I kind of know the story. I think it's interesting. I think we all, most people, the general populace knows her from Suicide Squad, which can go kill itself. And Birds of Prey, which I actually liked a lot. I had a lot of fun mm-hmm. with that movie. Um, but I just never got into it. But now, you know, I've, you've kind of always known the backstory that she was the Joker's psychiatrist and that she went crazy because of talking to him. But this just made me want to know more about her. And I understand yeah. that the, uh, some of the new comics with like Harley and uh, Poison Ivy. They're a little more, uh, they look a little more cartoonish. I, I haven't watched the cartoon. I've been wanting to for a while, actually. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad it's on HBO. Now that because I have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this made me want to learn more. This wanted made me go want to dig deeper into this character that I hadn't really written off, but I didn't really have that much interest in. Uh, which for me is high praise for something. If I read something and want to know more, um, that's great. And one thing I'm not sure if they do, but I would love for them to do, because I'm not sure how this ties into the whole DC universe, you know, things comics change and become different things all the time. Yeah. Uh, In the same way that the Joker really kind of has an origin story, kind of doesn't, no one knows. And that actually is brought up very well in this book. Um, If this really is the true origin of Harley Quinn, I think it's magnificent. And I, I would love to see future comics kind of relate back to that. Cause the very last pages of this are Batman is Batman blaming himself for what happened. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I was the one who gave her the grant. I did this, I did that. Uh, and I think that's just, that's amazing. And yeah, you know, I, I, I walked in, I didn't even know this was like the origin story. I just thought it was a Harley Quinn novel. I had no clue mm-hmm. <clears throat> and walked out loving it. And going back really fast to what Todd said about the, the art, you know, yes, it was digital, but there are some scenes that are just like the, one of the opening scenes is when Batman's fighting the Joker. After the Joker pulls the gun on her, and you see the two of them fighting in the smoke cloud, and it's just gorgeous. I mean, there there are pages in this comic that I would love to have frames, like well framed, (laughs) and hung on my wall, like. It's, it's just absolutely wonderful. And I, I went in with no expectations aside from, eh, it's a character I'm not really that invested in mm-hmm. and walked out. It was like when we read uh, Hiketia with Wonder Woman. Like, I've never been a big Wonder Woman fan. I mean, the movie helped bring me over a lot. Patty Jenkins. 1984, not as much. There's It's a bad movie that I did enjoy, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, but, you know, this made me really enjoy the character a lot more than I thought I would. And, you know, I, I would love to see more what this this writer and artist at the same time could do with her because I think if he were to do his own series with her it'd be very it'd be a lot deeper than we see with a lot of other Rose Gallery characters. Mm-hmm. And as much as I do enjoy the Birds of Prey uh, you know the movies and what's coming forth with with that that's more the comedic side, and this was very much more the serious side. Now I, I like that in in these kind of darker tone comics. So yeah,
2: nope, yep, agreed. Uh, yeah, I, got, I don't really have anything else to add. Like I really like it. I think it's a, I think it's a great book. I think it's really well written. It has some interesting things to say, and it's very pretty. Um, like it, it's pretty. <laughs> there's, there's really not like a whole lot to say against it, really, in my opinion. But uh, let's jump into greats then. Monsieur Todd, what is your Uh, Great.
1: You know, I give it an A minus. I really enjoyed it. Had a whole lot of fun. Really, nothing bad to say about it. I really go off and read it. A minus. Cool. Um,
0: Monsieur Adam. Uh, I'm going to go with an A. I I really liked it. I I thought it was very well done. Uh, I do really want to hear what Lena thought. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because. She, you know, not having her here tonight was really weird, especially with, again, being female <laughs> anti-heroes. Yeah. Uh, but sure. I thought they did it well. The artwork was amazing. The the descent into madness part of it, where it made sense. It wasn't much so sort the of Star Wars, the whole thing where Anakin just is like, oh, I'm dark now. Yay. That's all yeah. Annoyed me. Yeah. Even though if you get a chance, read the novelization for Revenge of the Sith, because mm-hmm. the way they handle his downfall from page one is amazing. Like the mental anguish and struggle is if there was a way to have shown that on film, it would have made it so much better. But oh, there is. You just need a better actor and a better writer. And a better director. Yeah. Um
1: uh what well, I'll also say though, the Clone Wars. Fills in a lot of gaps and does a really good job, that cartoon.
0: Which I still need to finish watching, by the way. I'm a bad Star Wars fan, but
1: bad nerd, bad, bad nerd, nerd. bad nerd. Well, I started watching Clone Wars because I was watching Mandalorian and I'm going, Here are these characters everyone's freaking out about, and I'm like, Oh. Clone Wars. Oh, Clone Wars. Oh, maybe I should watch the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I've been watching the Clone Wars. It starts, again, another show that takes a while to find its footing. Yeah, and and, that's
2: the problem I've been having, or I have had within the past, I've tried to write. I haven't started to try to re- watch it again since you recommended it to me, but
1: Yeah.
0: It's well, and it's that's dark it. as fuck. Like, I remember, mean, I'm about halfway through the first season. I remember the third season, there's a, a scene where they, or the third episode, excuse me, they, uh, these droids, like, blow a hole open in the ship, and it just sucks all these people out, and you just see dead bodies is floating yeah like it's a kid's show but it's dark as hell and yeah i know there's a lot of backstory that i I do need to want to catch up on like you know uh father son and daughter all that kind of fun stuff uh but which i'm sure would help kind of prepare that but uh no it's i can't recommend this book enough like if i go out and buy the physical copy after buying the digital copy that's 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 my praise you can definitely go out there and grab it so
2: sure cool um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with an A as well. Like I really like it. I think it's a great book. Even the packaging is really cool with the the acetate on it. Uh, so yeah. Uh, then uh, next week we are going to be doing a book called Antihero. Have my somewhere? Todd. Right. Do you know this book? I do not. I haven't read it yet. Didn't I suggest
0: it. it? I think I, I, <laughs> I went to Google it. I went and Googled a bunch of shit. <laughs> okay. Because I was like, I, for some reason I thought Todd knew it, but maybe it was you. I have it right here. Let's see. I contributed this month. I recommended like half the books we're doing. Yeah, you did. Uh, 13
2: Old Girls with Different Powers.
0: I don't know. It looks cool. It's,
1: yeah. it, it's a DC uh, kids
2: graphic one. novel.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's two girls who are like uh, who are best friends, and I think one of them is the superhero, one's a super villain. I want to say. Yeah, looks fun though.
2: Who's it? Uh, uh, Written by Kate Carius Quinn and Demetria Lunetta, and illustrated by Ma- Massa Gill. I'm gonna say. Sure, let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. but I uh, said
1: Steven Sajic. So.
0: Ooh, it's kind of like Freaky right. Friday too. I see how it is.
2: Yeah, it looks interesting though, so I'm excited <laughs> about it. So we're doing that one next week. Uh, then we'll finish up. We'll do Scarlet. Uh, Uh, by Brian Michael Bendis for our 200th episode, gentlemen. Ooh,
1: 200 episodes.
2: Okay, cool. So that'll do it for uh, this week's episode of the Funny Books and Fireworks podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining me and uh, join us again next week for the uh, episode Antihero. Since no lane is here, I'm going to join you with you. ready? Goodbye, everybody. Bye! Bye. Bye. That's harder to hold that note than I expected. (laughs)